0: well good evening Uh, i trust that your week is going well Uh, we are going to pick back up in our study of finances and giving so pull out your bibles we're going to be doing a bible study together Uh, before we do that let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer god we thank you for for who you are thank you for your church for your bride thank you for your word for your holy spirit who guides us and teaches us and leads us we pray that you would do that um, right now, as we open up your word and we seek to understand you and your um, your commands on, on giving, your principles on giving, and what we should do with those. God, we thank you for your people. Help us to remember each other when when we're in this awkward time where, where we can't see each other, to hold each other up in prayer and um, to do what we can to, to fellowship with one another and to, to love your body to love the saints god we thank you and praise you amen all right well last week we were looking in the old testament and in the gospels and we had discussed this question should christians tithe should christians tithe and we came up with an answer based on our understanding of scripture we decided that no christians should not tithe um we were Spending some time looking at the law, and in the law, we see um, three different aspects of of the law. The law was given to Israel this law, this command to tithe was given to a specific people at a specific time, given to god 's chosen people, Israel in the Old testament <clears throat> and it was part of the civil law. We as Christians are not under the civil law we 're not under the ceremonial law. the ceremonial law is something we 've spoken to recently and speaks of things such as um, washing and cleaning, following and observing feasts and festivals. And those are things that we as Christians aren't under. However, we as Christians do recognize the moral law of the Old Testament and how the moral law is a a reflection of the the character of God and of his will for us. And so while we we don't place ourselves under the moral law or the, the civil law or the ceremonial law, We do recognize the the moral law. And that is why we don't believe that Christians should tithe. However, I want to ask a a different question tonight. Should Christians give? Should Christians give? And to that, I would give a hearty yes. I believe that Christians should give. Um, And I think that we can defend that from Scripture. And so we're going to spend some time looking in the epistles tonight, looking in the the New Testament, and um, just questioning why it is that that Christians should give, looking at the motives of giving, um, how we give, why we give. But before we do that, I want to address three common misconceptions about giving, three things that um, it seems like a lot of people believe in, about giving and and really shouldn't believe about giving so the first misconception that i want to address is that we give to receive that we give to receive now this is not something that is is novel not something that is new and surely you've been flipping through uh tv stations and you've seen somebody say well if you just send in a check for x amount of dollars god will bless you if you give to this ministry then the lord will give to you you plant a seed of faith and see what god is going to do in your life now while that is absolutely ridiculous on its face and i i trust that most of us understand that i do believe that we can have Still a, a misconception that, that goes along those lines that we can look at giving as a sort of formula that we think, okay, well if I do X and God is gonna do Y. If I give, then God is going to to give back. He's going to to bless me in this way. <clears throat> and again, that might not be uh quite as as blatant as saying, send in a, a check and God is gonna bless you. But I think it's still a misconception that we have to deal with in our own minds and our own hearts. Um, I want to look at Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. This is a a common verse that people like to take out of context and they like to to pull and throw around and use to say that, yes, God is going to bless you if you give. So Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, while we're speaking about misconceptions, I want to speak a little bit about misconceptions of Proverbs. Um, This is not a a promise to all people. I think we need to be on guard against looking at Proverbs as a set of rules, as a set of laws, rather than a set of principles. It's a book that is written by, by Solomon, who gives us many principles that we can live by, but they are not a set of rules, not a set of guidelines. They're not a set of promises but rather principles that we can take and we can apply to our own lives. <clears throat> also, when looking at Proverbs, we need to avoid the, the temptation of moralism to to simply do what it says, to follow the rules, to follow this set of guidelines. Um, Proverbs is not uh, a book just simply about morality, that we are to, to do what is right and to avoid what is wrong. Um, morality should flow out of our Christianity. Morality doesn't result in Christianity. Morality doesn't replace our Christianity, but it should flow out of our Christianity. As Christians, we should be doing what is right, what is good in in the eyes of God, as defined by God, not to be right with God, but because we are right with God. Uh, Proverbs is a book that is written in um, in a form that... Where we see a father writing to a son, that's the the kind of of writing the the kind of style that it's starting out as that Proverbs is written to a wise son, and we can have this this understanding where we want to make ourselves a wise son and say, "Well, we must do all of these things. Well, we are not the the wise son that's mentioned in Proverbs. Jesus is a wise son mentioned in Proverbs, and we shouldn't be looking at the book of Proverbs. Reading it as, well, this is what I should do, but rather that as I am in Christ, this is what <clears throat> what I will do as a follower of Christ. This is what it looks like when Christ, who is a wise son of Proverbs, is living in and working through me. So those are some some guidelines on how we read and understand Proverbs. And so when we read this verse, Proverbs 3, nine ten, it seems like it's a promise. Again, we need to recognize it's a principle written to a specific people at a specific time and that Christ is the wise son of Proverbs and we need to be um, allowing him to work and move through us. Um, We have uh, a tendency again to to formulate in our minds this understanding of a formula when it comes to giving. We need to be on guard against that, not to think that we can somehow, um, manipulate God to say, to kind of hold his feet to the fire and say, oh, well, you promise us this because he hasn't, he's given us principles and guidelines that, um, that we should follow, but not a, a hard cut set of rules. The second misconception that I want to look at is that God needs us to give that God needs us to give. Whenever we say that God needs anything, we have a fundamentally misunderstood view of God. And we change, and we um, pervert really His character, His nature. To say that God needs anything is, is blasphemy. It's to change who He is. People will often say that that God created us, that he made man because he needed somebody to love. He needed somebody to, to share his fellowship with, to to respect and honor him, to recognize who he is. But when we say that, we are diminishing who God was before he created us. God has always had this ability to love. He, we see love within the Trinity, that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit loves the Father, the Son. There's love within the Trinity, inner Trinitarian love. And when we say that God created us for the purpose of love, we are changing who God is. And in the same way, when we say that God needs us to to give, we are diminishing who God is. God doesn't need anything. Um, God uses us and allows us the, the blessing, the opportunity to to partake in what He is doing by giving, but He does not need us whatsoever. If If Christ didn't receive praise or honor from us he would require it from the rocks even the rocks would cry out is what luke 19 says so we see that yes god chooses us yes god uses us but not because he has some innate need for us to give to him um psalm 24 reminds us that the earth is the lord's and everything that is in it the the world and and all that dwells in it everything belongs to god he doesn't need for us to give to him he is self-sufficient And there's nothing that we can bring to the table, nothing that we can offer that God doesn't already have. And um, yes, so God does not need us to give. All right, third misconception I want to address is that we give out of pure obedience. We give out of pure obedience now again while it's true that we should give out of obedience that god has uh, commanded us to give he has ordained that we as christians should give um, that shouldn't be our pure motiv- motivation just to simply obey and to be in in line with what it is that god has called us to do i want to read to you from mark chapter 12 mark 12 is where Jesus is talking with the scribe, and he tells him the, the two foundational laws. The most important law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and in verses 32 and 33, the scribe responds and says that the scribe said to him, Write, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so, he recognizes, okay, well, there's these burnt offerings, there's these sacrifices, there's this aspect of obedience. But to love the Lord your God with all your heart, that is, that is more, that is better. That is what God requires. He looks at the heart, not just simply at the fact that we obey Him and when he said this jesus commended him for saying this saying yes you are right he was looking back to um what what samuel had said to saul in first samuel fifteen twenty two, when saul presumptuously offered this sacrifice to the lord thinking that he was going to receive praise and favor with god well samuel came to saul and he said the lord requires obedience and he is much more pleased in obedience rather than sacrifice. And while it's true that, yes, God is pleased in our obedience, it's even farther than that it's our heart that, that he's wanting. He doesn't just want simple outward obedience. He wants obedience from the heart, a heart that loves him, that wants to obey him, wants to honor him. We've seen this recently in the book of Acts in chapter 5 when we were looking at Ananias and Sapphira and how they, they sold their property, they sold their land, and they gave it to the church, which would be a commendable thing. However, they didn't do it from the heart. They did it with, with wrong motives. And <clears throat> they, were, um, they were killed for it. They were condemned for it eternally. Maybe not eternally. <laughs> but they were condemned for it um, because they had done it with poor motives. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do it so that other people see you, so that other people give you praise. In fact, if you do that, you have received your reward in full. Again, if we're doing things outwardly, just out of simple obedience, um, with no true good heart motive behind it, then we have received our reward in full. God is interested in more than just outward obedience. God is interested in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13 Paul says, if I give all my possessions to the poor, even if I give of myself, give my own body to be burned, but I don't do it in love, then I do it for no reason. I'm just a, a clinging gong. I'm just a, a noisy symbol. If love is not behind our, our motivation in, in what we do with our finances and how we give to the Lord, then we are, are doing it out of, out of emptiness. And this is often the the attitude of the reformed person in the the aspect of evangelism, the person who realizes that yes, God is sovereign over salvation, God is in control over who comes to him, He is the one who draws people to himself, and nobody who comes to to God is going to do it of his own initiative that um, that nobody is going to come to to Christ unless the Father draws him to himself, and then they will they'll rationalize and say, well, why then do we go out and share our faith? Why do we evangelize? And they'll say, well, just purely out of obedience because Jesus told us to. Well, yes, that's true. We want to honor our Lord. We want to obey our Lord. But our Lord himself had a compassion for the lost and a love for the lost. And I think that we should emulate that and we should. Ourselves have a love for the lost, and we shouldn't be purely motivated by obedience. Yes, we should obey, but we should have a, a love and a compassion for our our brother, for our neighbor, for our coworker, our friend who does not know Christ, just as Jesus did. Jesus looked down and he said, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem!" and he wept over them. Um, he said, "How I wish that I could gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. How how I long for you and how I I hurt for you as." Uh, a people who walk around as as sheep without a shepherd, and he he felt for them, and he hurt, he hurt for them and that 's the kind of attitude that we should have in evangelism, not just to obey God alone while that is an aspect of it. We should have a, a heart of of compassion, and similarly when it comes to giving, we shouldn 't give purely out of obedience, but we should give from the heart because that is what the the Lord is concerned with. And so looking at these, these misconceptions, we could state them in uh, more of a positive sense or, or inversely to say that we don't give to receive or to say that God doesn't need us to give, that we don't give purely out of obedience. Well, if we were to say that, then I think that brings us to, to ask ourselves, well, why then do we give? If God doesn't need us to give, then why does He command us to give why does he require us to give if he doesn't need for us to give and again i think we can go back to um, the the parallel that we see in evangelism god doesn't need us to share the truth of his gospel there are a number of ways that he could proclaim the gospel to a, a lost and dying world but yet he chooses to use us god uses means and we see this in in every aspect of life we don't necessarily know why God does everything that he does the way that he does it but he uses means to accomplish his his ends to accomplish his goals Um, and we need to to realize that that he has a, a purpose for why he he does what he does and why he uses us to give rather than just to provide in some sort of supernatural way um, one aspect could be that he desires for us to to trust him this is a, a demonstration of our trust for him a recognition that everything that we have belongs to him that everything that we have is his um, in in giving back to the Lord that um, it gives us a, a sense of ownership in, in taking part in the ministry and we're never going to fully understand and fully know all the reasons why God has us to give we're never going to understand his um, his means but we need to realize that he does use means and he uses his people his church to accomplish his goals his his ends for his desire all right well let's jump into uh, a couple of passages of scripture i want to look at first of all second corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 Uh, this would probably be the the largest chunk of scripture in in one place that speaks of giving so second corinthians chapters 8 and 9 go ahead and turn there with me and we're going to uh, address the, the question of how do we give? We're going to see that again, Second Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1 says, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So Paul here is speaking to the Corinthian church about this Macedonian church and how they have an abundance of joy and an abundance of um, poverty as well. In affliction, they have an abundance of joy and deep poverty. So they're hurting their need. Verse 3 says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So we see three house here as to to how they gave says first of all according to their ability so we see that they gave according to their ability and going back to our our lesson last week a little bit um, they don't have a a set number they don't have a set percentage that they are expected to give but they're expected to give In accordance with what they can give and how they they're able to give and how the Lord has blessed them and secondly we see that they give beyond their ability not just according to their ability as each is able but beyond their ability and this has uh, an aspect of sacrifice that comes along with it that giving should be something that we do sacrificially. And we'll see this as we continue on through, <clears throat> throughout the rest of Paul's letters, that um, to give to the Lord is to do so sacrificially, to do so giving up of ourselves. I want to read to you from 2 Samuel 24. 2 Samuel 24, this is a, a scripture that I didn't give Jeremy to pull up before. But this speaks of, of David and his desire to give and how he gave sacrificially. So this is David when he's buying um, Arana's field. 2 Samuel 24, and I'm going to read to you verses 21 through 24. It says, Then Arana said, <clears throat> Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be held back from the people. Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up What is good in his sight? Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. However, the king David said to Arana, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David had an understanding that if he was going to offer a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord, it should be something that cost him. It shouldn't just be something that was given to him that he in turn gives over to the Lord. It should be a sacrifice. It should be a cost. Uh, elsewhere, David, um, when he had his, his mighty men, three mighty men go and they uh, fetch for him a, a cup of water. He said, oh, how I long for that water that's that's over across the battlefield. And they brought it back to him and he poured it out as an offering to the Lord, as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And that's how our giving should be, just as we see here in, in 2 Corinthians 8.3 that they gave beyond their ability, sacrificially. The third thing that we see here back in Second Corinthians 8.3 says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, they gave of their own accord so they didn't give um begrudgingly they didn't give um, out of coercion or manipulation but they gave willingly and they were glad to do so it was not out of a a sense of obligation or pressure or compulsion but they had a desire to give and to bless the lord uh several weeks back i was walking through a, a grocery store, working, listening to a, a, a sermon, I guess you could call it. And this man was talking and he said, should a Christian tithe? Should a Christian tithe? And he said, no. And then he said, um, oh, he said, does a Christian need to tithe? He said, no. But a Christian doesn't need to go into heaven either. And I out loud I said, "What because that is just a a utterly ridiculous saying, Christian doesn't need to die tithe, but he doesn't need to go to heaven either um what what blasphemy? I would agree with him on on the first aspect. No, a Christian doesn't need to tithe a Christian doesn't need to give if you're not gonna give with the with an open hand, if you're not going to give um of your own accord then it's not something that we need to be doing. God doesn't want us to give under compulsion. God wants us to give of our own accord, of our own uh, desire to give to Him, to bless Him. Let's jump down a few verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and look at verse 7. It says, But just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, in all earnestness, and in the love we inspire in you, See that you abound in this gracious work also. Speaking of giving, of providing for the needs of other believers. Um, Paul here is commending them, saying you guys have been an example, continue to be an example, not only in these things, but be an example in, in your giving as well, to abound, to, to overflow in your reputation to give. <coughs> Let's jump over to verse 4 of chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9 And let's pick it up in verse 4. 2 Corinthians 9.4 It says, "...otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence." So again, he's preparing a a gift, an offering to, to take to a different church. And he's saying, let's have it prepared beforehand Um, that's kind of the the principle that we can get from this verse, to have it prepared beforehand, to have it ready, to have it set aside. Um, And he is referencing the fact that he's been kind of boasting in them and their willingness to give. And um, he says, well, we don't want to be found unprepared, so let's have this set aside beforehand, um, or we will be put to shame by this confidence. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised gift, this bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So again, he says, don't be affected by covetousness. Have this ready beforehand to give out of your own accord, to give generously and not begrudgingly. Um, this is a concept that you see all throughout the, the New Testament to give um, willfully, not begrudgingly. Verse 6, <clears throat> Now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, several different... Let me see here. Jeremy's laughing at me, walking up to the camera. Did that do it? There we are. Alright. Um, <clears throat> we can learn from Scripture several several different things about reaping. I guess I'll write this down here. That um, you reap what you sow. Uh, that's a principle that's taught in Scripture, all throughout Scripture. It's something we see here that you reap what you sow. If you put corn in the ground, you're not going to go back and, and pull up tomatoes or potatoes or um, strawberries. Wouldn't that be cool? But... If you put corn in the ground, you go back and you pull up corn. Um, You also reap later than you sow. So you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, you also reap more than you sow. So again, same principle. You can't go out in your, your backyard today and plant some corn and go out there tomorrow and reap that corn. You reap later than you sow. And you plant little tiny seeds, and when the harvest comes, you get big full grown corn, you reap what you sow, reap more than you sow, reap later than you sow um, but that doesn't always mean that that we're going to reap that here and now. Um, this is something that could take place in eternity. This is something that um again shouldn't be used as some kind of formula to 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 throw in God's face and say well, you said, you know, if I give, then I'm going to reap. Um, it's not something that we should take to the Lord of glory, to the creator of of everything that we know, and say, you said we should never be putting ourselves in that position. Uh, God forbid we would have the audacity to put ourselves in such a position. Um, but we should recognize that this is... Um, This is scripture. Now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Um, If we don't give much, then that's going to reflect um, in what we sow. And it's going to reflect later than now, not immediately. Um, And then he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, I don't think this is necessarily looking towards tomorrow, not looking to next month, not looking to next year. It's not speaking simply monetarily saying you give $10 and you're going to get a $100 check in the mail. A lot of preachers will preach this that way. Um, and we need to understand that God's ways are higher, higher than our ways. And that doesn't mean that we are going to necessarily reap that in, in this life. Um, Paul said that he can live in in all situations. He knows what it is to abound. He knows what it is to be abased. We need to have that understanding, that mentality when dealing with with verses like this. Let's carry on in verse 7. It says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, that same principle we're seeing over and over again, to give cheerfully, not out of a sense of obligation, not under compulsion, but cheerfully. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's speaking of righteousness here, that you will increase in your righteousness. Again, not talking about monetary value, um, but we see that you will increase in your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God this thanksgiving to god that's their motivation for giving in the first place because they are thankful to god the people that they are giving to are going to be thankful for this gift and paul and the apostles the others are saying that this is producing within us a a thankfulness for seeing how the lord is working in you and your obedience to give um so lots of thanksgiving going all around verse 13 um Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his incredible gift. Um, Paul closes out this section by pointing back to the gift that God has given to them. That God has given to us god 's gift is is the greatest gift we can ever imagine we can 't outgive God, and He says here that it's because of their giving it 's a, a proof of their ministry. There were already um, all kinds of Jewish people, Jewish believers who were looking at these Gentile believers, these outsiders, at this church at corinth this this messed up church at Corinth who doesn 't seem to be able to do a thing right, and they were questioning and doubting their salvation and Paul says. Back here in verse 13, that because of the proof given by this ministry, your your generosity, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. He's saying um, you're, you're literally putting your money where your mouth is and it's going to speak well to you. It's going to be a, a good testimony for your profession of the gospel of Christ. All right, let's, um, let's jump over to 1 Timothy 1st Timothy we're going to be in chapter 5 and we're going to look here at who do we give to so we're going to shift gears a little bit we looked in 2nd Corinthians 8 and 9 at at why we give and and how we give now let's look in 1st Timothy at who do we give to let's pick up in 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 3 and Paul starts off in verse 3 and he says honor widows Honor widows. He says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Um, Good old Johnny Mack says that, speaking of this word honor, he says that it means to show respect or care, to support or to treat generously. Although it includes meeting all kinds of needs, Paul had in mind here, not only this broad definition, but primarily financial support to care for financially those who are widows, those who are widows indeed. And he goes through and he he qualifies that. What does it mean to be a widow indeed? Well, he said, if you're under 60, you don't qualify. If you haven't been hospitable to the saints, if you haven't been serving others, if you, um, if you have children or grandchildren who can care for you, then you are not a, a widow indeed. And that's important because Paul realized the importance of stewarding what God has given us well, of stewarding our, our money and our finance as well. He says, yes, we are to give to. Widows, so those who are in need, but we need to do so um, carefully. We need to do so realizing that it is the Lord's money. We need to take care of and steward that money well. Uh, jumping on down to verse 17, 1 Timothy five, seventeen says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Again, same same concept, same aspect of honor there especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. So we've seen that um, who we are to give to, we are to give to the widow. Um, James in James one twenty-seven, I think, says that true and undefiled religion exists to, to visit widows and orphans in, in need. And so we give to those who are hurting, those who are in need. Here, he points out the, the elders who serve well, the local church, is to be cared for by the people. Now, he really gets into that a lot more deeply back in 1 Corinthians. So, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <coughs> we looked at part of 1 Corinthians 9 a few weeks ago, but we're going to look at the first part of 1 Corinthians 9. And Paul, as he defends his right to receive gifts, financial gifts and as we looked at before in the, the latter part of chapter 9, he weighs that right, but that right is still his nonetheless, and not just his, but those who, who serve as as pastors, as teachers, um, as the local church. So 1 Corinthians 9, let's read starting in verse 7. And as we read through this, take note of all of the, the evidences and the proofs that Paul is giving for why he is permitted by By biblical law to be receiving gifts so first corinthians 9 verse 7 who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit of it or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock these are all rhetorical questions and paul is saying nobody goes off and fights a war without getting paid for it Uh, we see that even in our own country we have recruitment centers who Try to get people to go off to war and they give them signing bonuses and they're going to pay them while they're gone. People don't pay for their own uh, stay at at war to go sacrifice their own life. People don't plant a vineyard in their backyard and not eat any of the food. They're going to partake of uh, the work of their labor. Verse 8, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written, Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, And the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, Do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? Again, Old Testament um, comparison. And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the the gospel. I am incredibly thankful that here at Payson Bible Church, as it's currently called, uh, we have three elders. Um, And I am especially thankful that we have a a full-time elder, a full-time pastor on staff who isn't tied down by the burdens of having a secular job. He isn't tied down by having to put in a 40-hour week or having to worry about the finances. And he is fully blessed in in taking a payment from the church. Paul just went through and he outlined um, several different reasons here in this chapter why it is good for a man who preaches the gospel to get his living from the gospel. And that frees up the church, this local body in so many ways, to have a servant who can serve Full time in that capacity, that is um, one of the reasons that we give. We give not only to the the widows, not only to orphans, but we give to the local church, especially to uh, the pastor, to those who teach and preach well, so that they can continue to do so, so that they can serve us in uh, a higher capacity and have the freedom to do so. Um, we also saw, speaking of who we give to. Um, back in 2nd in Corinthians and also in Acts 11, Acts 11, 27 through 30, you could see that uh, we are to care for the body of Christ, a universal body, not just a local body, um, but we see there uh, an example of caring for other bodies who are, are struggling, just as the Macedonian church, Paul wanted to care for these other bodies as they were struggling. And so before we we wrap up, I have a, a final misconception that I I took my spot for. I stole it for this, so I'll go ahead and erase that and put a a fourth misconception down here. And the fourth misconception is that um, I don't have enough. I don't make enough to give. I don't have enough, I'll put money there, to give. And I'm dropping stuff all over the place. Jeremy's laughing at me, um, but that's okay. Fourth misconception, I don't have enough to give. And I just want to encourage you, if you aren't currently giving, to to give something. Um, not because it's going to, to benefit me, not because it's going to benefit the church, but because we're, we're told that we should be giving. We're told how we should be giving, who we should be giving to, the motivation for giving. Um, and I think it's a good principle, a good habit to build, even if it's just a minimal, minimal amount um, to be giving out of obedience. Uh, we are commanded to give. It is sinful of us if we do not give. Um, Jeremy is over here laughing at me still, picking stuff up off the floor. If we don't give, that is a, a sin of omission. Um, I don't think we often think of sins of omission. More often when we think of sins, we're thinking of sins of commission, things that we do that we ought not to do, lying, cheating, stealing, sins that we commit, things that we do um, to be arrogant, boastful, insolent, um, to lie. These are sins that we commit, but in not giving, we are omitting what God has told us to do. What again is the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How often do we neglect to do that? How often today have we neglected to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength? Countless times, these are sins of omission. Just as failing to respond to God's call for us to give, to care for for our local body, to care for widows and orphans in need, to care for the, the universal church. These are commands that we have, and when we don't do that, we are sinning by omission. And I want to challenge you and encourage you not to do so. The polls will tell us that over half of the, the Americans uh, in this country are living above their means. And I think we're about to find out that, that reality. That reality is about to manifest itself a lot more clearly that many of us are living above and beyond our means. And so to say that we don't have enough money to give, um, it's just a lie. We need to reevaluate how we spend our money, what we're doing with our finances. And I want to, to encourage you. I want to make myself available to you to go through your finances with you if that's something you would like, to sit down and to to look at what's coming in, what's going out, and how we can um, help make sure that we are living in a biblical way to develop a budget. That's something that I'd be willing to do, not just with our, our local body, but anybody else who's out there watching um, that's something that we need to be doing so we can honor God in our giving, honor God with our wealth, <clears throat> because we are stewards um, who are responsible to take care of what He has entrusted us with. Um, I want to close by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. This says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Contentment is something that we don't know nearly as well as we should. Um, Contentment is not a word that is, is high up on the American vocabulary. Godliness actually is a great means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare in many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so once again, let me just encourage you to, um, to give in, in some form or fashion. In obedience to develop that um, that practice for yourself to develop that as a habit in your own life (laughs) now before we end i have a uh an announcement we had talked about before how we had been planning this little mini series this two lesson series on giving even all the way back in january there are a couple of reasons for that one we weren't doing too hot financially back in january and as your pastoral staff, we got together, and we were talking, well, what can we do? Can we make some minor cuts? Can we make some major cuts? Um, can, is there any way that we can um, maybe make some money using our building? Or, or what can we do to, to balance our own budget? And we decided, well, before we do any of that, why don't we just teach on giving? Well, praise God, since then, our, our finances are doing much better. And so um, praise to God because God is the one who, who provides every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so we want to thank Him and, and praise Him for that, that we are now um, back in the black. And we're doing well. The second reason that we wanted to speak on giving is because we are getting ready to come up on graduation. We are graduating from our mission for 50 years. We have been under a mission organization and starting in September, that's no longer going to be the case. Along with that, we are going to be changing our name. We're not going to be Payson Bible Church. We're now going to be Orchard Hills Bible Church. And that is a big change, a big change that comes along with many expenses. And so we're going to put up on your screen uh, an image for a graduation fundraiser. We want to um, ask you to to help and, and partake in absorbing some of those costs that are associated with associated with graduation costs like a a new road sign we have a great road sign outside right now problem is it has the wrong church name on it Um, we're going to be orchard hills bible church we're going to have to get a new road sign we're going to have to get a new website a new app to go along with that things that cost money Uh, promotional materials flyers pamphlets um, domain names all different kinds of things that we're going to have to pay for and so we wanted to set up this graduation fund to help towards those things Some not so exciting things like, um, again, domain names and um, filing paperwork, stuff like that. And that logo that you see on your screen um, was designed by a graphic designer. And we were very thankful for that, but that too costs money. And so these are some of the things that we hope to be able to um, alleviate a little bit with this graduation fundraiser and asking you guys to help give towards that fundraiser. And then also, while doing that, we want to pad our reserve fund a little bit. We have a reserve fund for emergencies, for unforeseen things. If the boiler goes out, boilers cost a lot of money, we want to be prepared for that. Again, we want to be good stewards of our money. If we are unable to pay our staff pastor for a month or two, we want to be able to to do that while we scramble to, to figure things out. Um, if we have again, any kind of emergency. That's what that reserve fund is there for so we can be good stewards of our money. And we want to use this as an opportunity to help increase that reserve fund also. And so we just want to invite you to partake in that with us, to give towards that um, in a joyful way. Again, not under compulsion. We don't want to twist your arm. We don't want to tell you, you must do this because we have no biblical authority to tell you what you must give or, or how you must give you are to give according to your ability, beyond your ability, and of your own accord. And while this might seem like a poor time to do that, I mean, we are looking at possibly a a recession. Some people are using the word depression, saying our economy is not in a great spot. It's a very inconvenient time, you could say, to be doing that. We recognize that God is sovereign, and God is in control. And again, we were planning this months ago, and yet, it fell right in the middle of this whole coronavirus mess. And one bright side to that is that many of us are getting unexpected checks in the mail. And so perhaps we could use that to to pour into this fund, to bless this this effort that God has directed us to this graduation at this specific time to change our name at this specific time. And so again, I just want to encourage you to consider and to pray about how you might be able to bless this This graduation fund, um, and to do so with a a joyful heart, realizing that God is doing something special in Utah County with a church that has been here for 50 years. We should give him all the praise and honor that we can muster for what God has done historically with Pace Bible Church, what he's going to do in the future with Orchard Hills Bible Church. And so, if that's something you would like to do, we have three different ways that you can give to this graduation fundraiser you can give uh, online at paysonbiblechurch.com slash give uh, you can run by the church and drop it in our box in person or you can mail it to po box 115 so we realize that this is a big step for us as a church and we want to invite you to um to partake in this with us and to sit back and to see what God is going to do. This is an exciting time for us and we are thankful for for where He has brought us and where He's going to take us. Let's go ahead and pray. God, it is a a great responsibility to be entrusted with with everything You have entrusted us with, with our our time, with our talents, with our, our money, with our treasures. God, You have given us children that we are to care for you have given us a, a church that we are to oversee God what a what a weighty thing to consider we pray for your wisdom we pray for the guidance of your holy Spirit that you would allow us to give in every respect of all of our means with a joyful heart realizing that we are giving back to the one who who owns everything you are you are the god of this universe. Uh, this whole world belongs to you and we are thankful for that that you have decided to to use us in in any way that you see fit god you have included us in your mission of evangelism you have included us in the the call to give to your church and there is nothing that we can do to to fault that you said that that you will build your church the gates of hell will not prevail against it god let us be Um, fully submitted to to be a part of that to be giving of of ourselves with joy with obedience realizing that that everything is is to you through you and from you god we thank you for who you are thank you for this church and pray that you will um, encourage us to continue to walk by faith pray this in your name amen